All right, good morning, Res City. Um, all right, I think here we go. All right. Uh, my name is Brett, and I'm on the leadership team here at Res City Church. Um, and that means a couple things. It means, uh, one, apparently I get to preach a sermon every once in a while. And two, uh, you guys are guinea pigs for my first ever sermon. So you may not have known what you were getting into when you walked in the door, but uh, thanks for coming. Uh, special welcome if you're new with us. Uh, but if you're a regular, it's just good to be together on a Sunday morning. Um, so we are in the middle of our Advent series here at Res City. Uh, and this year's theme, we're kind of just focusing on hearing from God. Um, and uh, basically, we're looking at these kind of iconic characters of the Christmas story um, and just what they heard from God, what it meant for their life, and what it might also mean for us. Uh, last week, Julie preached on Zechariah. If you remember, it's this old, this old guy who kind of struggles to believe God. God hits the mute button on him, uh, if you guys remember the story. Uh, but this week, uh, we're actually going to be looking at Mary. What she hears and how that's going to turn uh, her story, her life, into something she never could have imagined or uh, even kind of dreamed of. So... But I'm actually, I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. Uh, so this is, a, this is a guest sermon, you guys. And uh, no guest sermon would be complete without the obligatory family picture. So I don't know, I've, I've never seen a guest sermon preach wh- where they did not show a picture of their family. So not sure why, but in any case, here you go. Uh, that's my wife, Laura, on the right. Uh, in the middle is uh, my daughter, Louisa. On the left is my son, Abram. And on the right is my other son, Soren. And I've actually been thinking about these guys a lot this week. Um, And because as you'll see, our text this week, it's this kind of famous iconic text and it has to do with pregnancy and babies and and all that fun stuff. And so I couldn't help but think back to uh, back when we were pregnant with our our first kids. Uh, Specifically, I, I actually, the first thing that came to my mind as I read the text was our first ultrasound, right? So by then we knew that we were, we were going to have kids and we kind of got a plan together from you know, the little house we were going to live in, the little car we were going to drive, um, all the way to my wife's work situation and all these different things. Uh, and everything was going exactly according to plan until that first ultrasound. So you can kind of picture, you know, Laura's up on the table, there's, a, there's the nurse pulling up our first, our first pictures. Uh, so we're really excited. I'm in the room there. Um, and yeah, everything's going great for about a minute because at about one minute in, um, I'll never forget. She, so she, the nurse stops what she's doing and she says, <gasps> I'm just like, oh, okay, that's when your, your stomach, your, 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 uh, something happens in your stomach. Um, and she asks this like really weird question. She's like, what's better than a baby? And I'm just like, what is this like? Is this like a riddle you ask new new parents? Like, just what's going on here? Did we like mess up this process? I thought I understood, right? Um, and then she looks at me, and even though I am not expecting anything like this, she gives me news that's going to change my life forever. She says, "You are going to have two babies," uh, and just like that. Uh, pretty much all of the plans that we had put together essentially went up in smoke, right? Like, I drive a minivan now. 
Um, my wife is, you know, she's still at home with the kids. And, um, and don't get me wrong, uh, really good. It's like these boys, my two boys are like the best thing that's ever happened to us, right? But if I'm honest, right, that there's some hard things about it. Um, and not just, my goodness, going without sleep for an entire year. Um, but really having to change some of my dreams, some of my ideas about how my life uh, was going to look in the near future and really in the far future. Uh, some, some goals had to be put on hold and some goals and dreams had to, uh, I had to say goodbye to them. And that's hard. So that's my story. That's just my weird twin story. But let me flip it on you guys. Has anything like this ever happened to you? Maybe it's something in the past. Maybe it's something this morning. Because this is, this is a small church, and I, but even in the small church, I know that there are realities around marriage and kids, around careers or school, around even increasingly in my life, it's just health, health and relationships. Just things that we didn't maybe imagine or things that haven't gone the way that we would have imagined uh, when we were younger. And really, that's kind of where I want to aim my sermon this morning, is around this really simple question of how do we move forward when life doesn't go as planned? And thankfully, I don't think we're on our own with this. Today, uh, we're looking at this famous story. Like I said, it's, everyone knows it. Um, it's from a long time ago, a very different culture. Uh, but I think just the nature of the, honestly, just the weirdness of the request that comes to Mary and the magnitude of it is so unique in all the Bible. I think she's actually going to help us walk through, um, walk through whatever life has for us. So, all right, let's read. Uh, so long passage today. I'm going to, I kind of divided it into two chunks. And so let's start with Luke 1. Let's pick up in verse 26. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word of God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. Uh, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. All right, so famous passage, as I mentioned. Uh, if you've been around the church, you've heard this passage. Even if you haven't been around the church, you've probably heard this passage, just being in the United States around Christmas. Um, I don't know about you guys. For me, this was like, this was kind of like the starting gun before we would like open 
open presents. It was like we'd read the Christmas story and then we could open our Batman action figure uh, if you're asking for the same thing that I was as a kid. And honestly, there's, man, there's so much here. I don't think Joel wants me to preach till dinner time. Um, and so I really want to focus in on uh, just one thing and really what Mary heard and what that might have meant for her. So let's zoom in on Mary as we walk through here. All right, so six months have gone by since, uh, you know, the sermon that Julie preached last week, since Zechariah's episode where he gets the mute button hit on him. Uh, and Gabriel is back. And so uh, same angel, same angel as last time. Only this time he's going to a little town called Nazareth. So small town out in the boonies. Uh, scholars put it a few hundred people. It's about 90 miles outside Jerusalem. Uh, and let me see, let me flip my notes here. Uh, instead of an old guy this time, Gabriel is looking uh, for a virgin uh, named Mary. Mary, the first thing we're told about is she's a virgin. And that means, one, what you think it means. So it's like sexual purity, all that stuff, the same thing it means in our culture. But it also means a second thing uh, in this culture, uh, which is that she's like, it literally means just like young girl or young woman. And so... When you're picturing Mary today, do not picture old, mature lady. Picture more like junior high. And I don't know why she's holding a Palm Pilot. That was like my (laughs) royalty-free image from like 1995 or something. Uh, But there you go. Uh, And uh, Gabriel finds Mary. He finds this young girl. uh, And in a classic angel encounter, she's freaked out. I mean, this is like textbook angel encounter in the Bible, right? The first words always have to be, don't be afraid. Because just think about like the terror when you see this crazy being in your house. Um, And yeah, he tells her that she's uh, going to have a son. And the son is going to be a very big deal. And you'll see all these, like, like I said, this could be a sermon right here. We could look at all the Old Testament references. And you've probably heard a Christmas sermon that has maybe. Uh, but my guess is Mary is not thinking about Old Testament theology at this point. And we know that because of what she asks next. She just says, how will this be? How's this going to happen? I thought I, I thought I understood this process, right? Uh, and if you look, it's actually almost identical to Zechariah's question. And most scholars say there's not much in the text to differentiate them. Uh, it, I think we're left to assume that God can see the heart and whether he conveys that to Gabriel or how that works. Um, uh, she's not, she doesn't get the mute button hit. She actually gets an answer. Uh, so let's see. The, yeah, the angel um, just doesn't, she, does, she doesn't get a biology lesson, let's just say, but she does get a hint, right? She gets a hint that the Holy Spirit is going to be involved in this process. And perhaps that's even connected to the holiness of her son that's about uh, to be born, the Holy One to be born. Okay, so I just, I want to pause here. I think just with all the associations that we have with these Christmas passages, I think, at least for me, I want to like grab a few verses, like staple them on a Christmas card and then like send them off to my aunt and uncle, you know, or something like that. Like that, we we think about, and there's, there is, there's so much good. There's the honor that Mary gets. There is... Um, yeah, the reality of God with us and all these different things. But I just want to look at really what this, the theme of this series is, which is 
what did Christmas, what did that first Christmas really mean for Mary? Because before Gabriel shows up, Mary's just an ordinary Jewish girl. We can see that she's got real faith later in the passage. And probably more exciting, she's engaged. I don't think I'd ever stop to think that, you know, 10 minutes before Gabriel arrives, right, she's doing whatever that first century equivalent is of picking out napkin colors for her wedding and, like, bridesmaid dresses. Uh, she's got a great guy lined up. Uh, his name's Joseph. Uh, He's from a good family. Uh, I think Matthew even mentions that he's an honorable or he's a just man. Um, and so I think the, the kind of the picture that emerges is that Mary is building a great life. If you think about the first century rural Israel, I mean, she's, she's not going to be looking forward to some power woman career. It's unlikely that she's going to be educated, but... Uh, I think it's safe to say that at the center of what a good life might mean for Mary is going to be family, it's going to be community, a lot like there is in, even in small towns today. And all that is just until, until God shows up, really, because then her life is going to get real exciting. Because if you just slow down to sit with the story, uh, you realize two facts. One, she's pregnant, and two, Joseph isn't the father. And so there's not many details around this, but I think you can assume there's going to be some difficult conversations for Mary. Um, community, you think about her family, you think about, probably most of you, you think about the one with Joseph, right? And you can, I think you can assume that because of what happens next. You've got to go to Matthew for this. But Matthew just writes that her husband Joseph um, essentially wants out. He's going to divorce her quietly. And I know you Bible scholars are in here and you're saying, well, you know, there's that part later, right? And like, you know, God's going to turn Joseph around and it's going to be great. I would just point out, you know, in Mary's shoes right now, she, she has no idea that that's going to happen. Uh, she's having probably a, just a really difficult conversation with her fiance and she's got a story that goes along with it, but I don't know, guys, put yourself like in that situation. I mean, that, that'd be hard. And so, yeah, within weeks, Joseph is out. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. And I forgot my, one more point. It's just, um, and that assumption that Joseph has, it wouldn't be limited to Joseph, right? So uh, this is Andreas Kostenberger. He's a theologian. He just says, you know, Joseph apparently assumes some sort of some sort of infidelity. I'd say, obviously, he assumes some sort of infidelity. And that's an assumption that would have been shared by others. So, yeah, just uh, in our culture, when someone has a baby outside of marriage, you know, in our, our culture, we call that Tuesday, right? That's just like not, not a thing. Uh, but in this culture, it was enough to tarnish, maybe ruin a reputation for life. Um, and if if you're from a small town like I am, like, you get this, right? Like, how fast is this story going to spread? And, you know, what are people going to say? And so, yeah, we, within, whether it's weeks or months, uh, Mary's looking at a broken engagement. No one's going to probably look at her the same. And really, you just kind of put yourself in her shoes. Um, she's done everything right. She's done all the right things. And now 
Joseph's out. There's, I don't know, some shame that it's going to kind of be a part of her story. And oh yeah, her task is to raise like the incarnate son of God who is, you know, so he's, raise him so he can be perfect, so he can like save the world, right? Do it alone too, no pressure. And so I just, again, I'm trying to slow us down with this Mary story. Like, how would, how would you feel? How would you respond? How do you respond when life throws difficult things in your path? I think if I'm honest, it's, it's, not always, it's not always great. It's not always pretty. But here's how this young girl responds. She just simply says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She doesn't fight. She doesn't lash out. There's probably going to be tears. If it was me, there would be tears. Like, there's a lot going on here. But check it out. So it kind of brings us back to that original question, right? What's, what is going on in this girl's heart that isn't always going on in, in yours or in mine? How does Mary's life move forward? How does our life move forward? How do we move forward in our life when things don't go as planned? And I think the good news is we, we don't have to wonder. So after traveling to Elizabeth's house, after kind of this big greeting that Elizabeth gives Mary, uh, Mary's going to sing this song that we, you know, is kind of recorded for all, all of history now. And I think in that song, she's going to show us what's going on in her heart. Here's how Mary does it. Uh, Mary sings, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one, mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends uh, to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors." It's so good. My first sermon, I was given a very long passage. There's a lot here, right? The first half is really Mary's personal response, where we'll be hanging out. Um, second half is really like what it means for Israel and all these different things. Um, but I really want to aim, again, just try to focus us down here on this question of how does, how does Mary move forward with all that is in front of her? And I think the answer is both stupidly simple and incredibly difficult. Put very simply, I think Mary is embracing God's story. And at the same time, she's letting go of her own, her own idea of what her life might have looked like. I think if I put it another way, try to apply it as a principle for us, I would just say that the, the lesson we can get from Mary is embracing God's story is better than clinging to ours. Embracing God's story that's in the world, in our lives, is better, even when it's difficult and even when it's like weird and confusing sometimes, than clinging to our own manufactured version of what 
we thought life should be. We all get this, right? We're, hey, we're in church, right? This is easy. This is easy to believe, right? We're, we're all on the same page, right? I, I think it's a little bit, right? Like, if you're like me, yes, on a Sunday morning, yes, in theory, this is all, this is all, this is all great. But when it comes down to it, man, I'm like, I'm an American in 2022. I mean, I, I know what I want, and I'm, I know probably how to get it. And maybe in those rare chances where I can't, I might just be a little mad at God. Has anyone ever, anyone ever been there? I, maybe, yeah, it's probably just me. It's probably just me. But if it's not, uh, if it's not, I want to just spend this, really just this last chunk of the sermon, um, not so much arguing for this thing, although it's, this is really, I think, on a fundamental level hard to believe. Um, rather, I think I'm, I just want to look at Mary's song and just pull out of just a few things that we get when we embrace God's story. Or put a different way, what are some of the things that we might miss out on when we, when we cling to ours, cling to some version of our own? So three things, and then we're out of here. Um, I think the first thing we get is joy. And I think that's a little counterintuitive. Uh, so right in the midst of all that is in front of Mary, uh, her husband's left, all these different things, she says, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That interesting. Circumstances, very difficult. Inside is joy. Uh, and it, this reminds me of, uh, well, actually, oh, yeah, I skipped my slide too early, but um, it's something I've been thinking about a little bit over the last few years, um, and I think it's sort of encapsulated uh, in this, it's kind of this famous psychological study that I've, I, ever since I heard about it, I've been thinking about. Um, and it was back in 1978, I think it was like the University of Northwestern. Um, it's hedonic adaptation or the hedonic treadmill, if you've ever heard of it. But essentially, here's what happened. They took two very different groups. They took a group of people who had just won the lottery. Uh, and then they took, they followed a group of people who had just been in terrible accidents and had recently become either like a paraplegic or quadriplegic, just like kind of the heights and the depths of human experience is what they were going for. And the study only asked one simple question. What is your reported happiness over time? So they just asked these people over time, what, like how happy are you? <laughs> what do you say subjectively? How do you feel? And the, res the results were pretty astonishing. So the the first group, obviously, uh, as expected, had a huge spike in happiness. The second group had a huge dip in happiness. But over time, both groups returned to what researchers called a baseline level of happiness, meaning that for the subjects they studied, uh, essentially, they were left no happier or less happy than before. It's crazy, right? But if it's True for lottery winners, uh, I don't know, I just wonder, might it be true for some of the things that we want to cling to that we think might make our lives just perfect? And that's, you know, little things like the bigger house uh, to bigger things like the, you know, the perfect spouse and, and that sort of thing. And that's not to say uh, that to dismiss like the desires we have, but I think, you know, whether you're, that thing you cling to is kids or marriage, like, I think married people, I think people with kids would tell you, 
it's great. It's, it's, it's great, but it is not, it's not the key to happiness, right? It's not going to give you the joy that Mary's experiencing. One last thing on this study that I think is really cool is they've done all this follow-up research and they've said, hey, can we like actually increase that baseline level of happiness? Can we actually find like some, a, a happiness or a joy that lasts? And basically they find, I think what Mary shows us, which is that, yes, that you actually can, but it's really, it doesn't have anything to do with the circumstances of your life. But it's just, essentially, if I'm to sum it up, it's happiness is an inside job, right? And I think that starts with embracing God uh, and what he's got for our life. The second thing I think we get when we embrace God's story and uh, let go, just like cling a little less to our own, is significance. So uh, with all the hard years ahead, look where Mary's mind is at. Look at where her heart is at. In verse 48, she says, From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Isn't that crazy? Despite all that's right in front of her, her mind is thinking generations into the future. Sure, there's some difficulty here, right, right here and now, as we've kind of discussed. But ahead is blessing for thousands of years, for millions and billions of people echoing on into eternity. This is a 14-year goal. I'm so, I, I don't know, I'm challenged, I'm challenged by this. I mean, how is, how is our eternal perspective doing? Uh, I, I uh, yeah, are we thinking kind of years and generations of the future? Or have we fallen into what one writer, I, I love how he puts it, have we fallen into the tyranny of YOLO? Um, <laughs> And YOLO, uh, it just means you only live once. It's the idea that you gotta, you got to make it happen right now. This is, life is short, so you got to go do the, all the things. Ryan Shelton writes, When we believe that the only pleasures available to us are those we can wring from the fabric of our short lives, time becomes our greatest enemy. As the ranks of each passing year close in on our fragile village of pleasure-seeking, a chaotic frenzy erupts in our hearts uh, in minds, regret and gloom drive the captives mad. Uh, I can't believe I'll never get to Italy. More seriously, you know, like, what if I never find that husband or have those children? But Christians are set free, uh, set loose to give freely because we have been given everything. We spend our lives knowing that no bucket list will ever compare the glorious new creation waiting for us on the other side. And hear me clearly, uh, dreams, goals, ambitions, all this stuff. If you guys know me, I'm all about it. I'm always working on some crazy dream or scheme in my own life, right? These are all good things, right? But I think if we want the significance that Mary is experiencing, I think we need to be willing and even looking to leverage those goals, those dreams, uh, for eternity and for the people around us, and sometimes even be willing to, to give them up. All right, you're, you've stayed with me so far. I've got one last point. I think the third thing we get is not a thing. It's a person. Um, despite all that's going on in Mary's life, and all that Mary is really sacrificing for this kid, you think about 
Yeah, the pregnancy, and then she's, she, if you keep reading, she's got to move to Egypt. It's like, there's a lot going on in this girl's life. But despite that, um, despite all that sacrifice, the reality is Jesus is going to sacrifice more for Mary than Mary is going to sacrifice for Jesus. Because this, this actually isn't the end of Mary in the New Testament. Uh, the Bible tells us that you know, she's there when her young boy is at the temple, amazing the, the scribes and the Pharisees. She's there when her grown son starts her ministry. And as John tells us, she's there on the hill as they nail her, this baby boy, her baby boy, to a wooden cross. And it's at this moment, I want to bring us to this moment, this moment, and she's probably wondering what the sacrifice was for. What, what was all that angelic pronouncement and all this stuff I had to go through? What was it for? But the reality, of course, is that this was the moment that gave her life the significance that it does. This is the moment that Jesus, Jesus was, you know, dying for her sins and your sins and my sins. Um, this is the reason why, you know, I mean, I don't know who like the 27th president of the United States was, even though he was like the most powerful person in the world at the time, right? But in the next few weeks, I mean, people the world over are going to be talking about this girl named Mary. I think it's true for Mary. I think it's true for us. Because I, I think we know that, or I think we should know, that when we embrace God's story for our lives, um, and honestly, I think even the times we don't, I think Jesus is there. He's walking with us through the story that God has for us. You guys, embracing God's story is better than clinging to ours. Even when it's difficult, even when it's confusing. As we transition here to a time of communion and worship, and communion, by the way, is open to anyone who follow, who is a follower of Jesus. You don't have to be a member here or anything like that. As we transition, I just want to leave you guys with a few just very simple questions. And maybe those questions are something you can process during this communion time and worship time. Or maybe, like Mary, you need to find your Elizabeth, right, and kind of work through the good but difficult act of looking at what you're clinging to in your life and what, where you need to let, let, just let God in. So, yeah, questions are just, what part of your story do you need to give to God? And just what would it look like to do that? Mary gets her strength from being willing to loosen her grip on a story that, honestly, she probably really wanted. What would happen in, in your life, in my life, if you are willing to just loosen that grip a little bit and embrace God's story? What would Resurrection City Church look like if we all collectively were willing to embrace God's story and let go of our own little stories? What kind of impact would that have on a community, on a city? Oh, this is really difficult. This is like a huge ass. This is a big exhortation for a guy's first sermon. Um, it's very difficult. I mean, just speaking personally. But over the last years, as I've kind of wrestled through what my life is, 
versus what I maybe hoped it would be in certain areas. I've come back to this, this one quote, and uh, it's from an older pastor and uh, actually retired pastor in Minneapolis. He just says, it's okay to occasionally weep, even deeply, over the life you hoped would be. Grieve the losses. It's okay. But then wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life you have. I think if we can do it, there's joy, there's significance. And the best thing, I think, is that we have the presence of Jesus to walk with us through whatever life throws at us. So, Would you guys pray with me? Lord, uh, we know that you have made everything in this world for us to enjoy. You've given us goals and dreams and ambitions and so many just good, good things. But God, when your plan deviates from ours, I just ask that you would make us into people who delight in your story more than ours. Just give us eyes to see like you do. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen.